All right, so if you were here uh, on Good Friday, I've come prepared this time. So <clears throat> I had to almost lost my voice, which is really odd that evening. So hopefully we won't experience the same thing this morning. Uh, today, we are wrapping up our The Next Four Words of Jesus series. And I'm excited about our topic this morning. That'll sound odd in a minute, but I am. Because I think it's something that everybody uh, experiences or wrestles with at some point in their journey of faith. And that's the idea of doubt. Uh, I think everyone has questions or doubts about uh, their faith or things that they're learning about Jesus at, at different times. And I know if you've grown up in the church, uh, sometimes it can feel maybe like a scary thing to have questions or doubts, but I don't think that it should be that way at all. So this morning, I'm going to look at Jesus's post-resurrection encounter with Thomas. And even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard the phrase, doubting Thomas, used to describe somebody who has lots of questions or who's just generally skeptical. But I think that Thomas gets a bad rap, and I think his nickname is completely undeserved, and I'm going to try and prove that this morning. Uh, So what I want to do is look at the episode with Jesus' interaction with him and see what we can learn about following Jesus and having questions at the same time. So before we jump in our passage, uh, which will be in John chapter 20, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what comes right before the passage that we're going to look at. Uh, The night after Jesus rose from the dead, Uh, we learn that he appeared to the disciples. And we read uh, in the text that they had the doors locked out of fear of the Jewish authorities. Evidently, they figured that if the Jewish authorities could arrest and execute Jesus, their leader, that they might be coming for them next. And so, so they're locked in this room together. And it's in this midst of this fearful gathering that Jesus just appears uh, out of nowhere. And he says, peace be to you, which is probably a message they needed to hear at the moment. And then he invites them to come see his crucifixion wounds, and the disciples rejoice that they've been able to see Jesus risen from the dead. So then that brings us to our passage for this morning, uh, which is John 20. Uh, Verse 24 is where we start, and it gives us an important piece of information that we didn't hear about that first episode. It tells us, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So somehow, Thomas missed this amazing experience of seeing Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, We're not told why he wasn't there. It could have been as simple as he was going to get food for the rest of the group. Uh, It's possible that he was on lookout duty, making sure that the authorities didn't find out where they were holding up. Uh, Or maybe it's something more personal. Maybe for Thomas, uh, the leader, seeing the leader that he's followed for three years publicly executed, that might have just been too much for him. And he, maybe he needed some time on his own to process his grief. Uh, whatever it was, we don't know. Uh, we know that he missed that experience of seeing Jesus risen with the other disciples. In verse 25, we read this. It says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So at some point after Jesus' appearance to the disciples and then him leaving, uh, Thomas returns to the group and they tell him, we've seen the Lord risen. And it's Thomas's response to their claim that earned him the nickname that he's carried for these last couple millennia. This is what he says. Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were 
and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, as 21st century Westerners, I think when we read that, we hear something very different than what the original readers would have heard. Uh, I think we hear somebody that doesn't want to believe and is daring the other guys in the room to prove to him that what they're saying is true. But I don't think that's the case. I think Thomas wanted to believe, and he just needed a little help. And here's why I think that's the case. If we back up a few chapters in John's Gospel, uh, we find that in chapter 11, there's the incident where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And early in that chapter, Jesus receives word from some friends of his that his buddy Lazarus is sick and he might die. And so Jesus tells the disciples, hey, we need to go see Lazarus. Now, it just so happens that Lazarus lives in a place that they had recently been and people, the authorities there, were trying to kill Jesus. So when Jesus tells the disciples, hey, we need to go back there, they're not excited about the prospect at all. But one of the disciples encourages all the rest of them to go with Jesus. In John eleven sixteen, we read this. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, says to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Okay, of all the disciples that could have made a case for going into danger, life-threatening danger with Jesus, Thomas is the guy that says that, right? It wasn't Peter, right, who's known for just jumping out of the boat and running after Jesus at a drop of a hat, right? It wasn't James and John who at one point wanted to call down fire from heaven on some people who weren't officially part of their group, right? It was none of those guys. It's Thomas, the one that history tells us was the doubter. I think that's wonderful. And I think it makes the case that if he was willing to put his life on the line for Jesus while he was still alive, then he was committed. I think he was a person that wanted to believe. He just needed a little help. And here's the thing. Uh, One, I love the humanness of his statement because I think it... uh, it's something we can probably all relate to, right? Like who, who hasn't been hesitant to believe some, but something that sounds a little too good to be true, right? That's something I think we can all relate to. But here's the thing. Thomas was not alone in his doubting of the resurrection. Uh, both John and Luke tell us that the morning that Jesus rose from the dead, there were women who went to the, the gravesite and they saw that the stone was rolled away from the tomb and that Jesus' body was gone. And so they... Both accounts tell us they ran back to the disciples and they told them that Jesus was raised from the dead. Luke gives us a little bit more information than John does. Uh, There's an important bit. In Luke 24, 9 through 11, we read this. It says, when they, the women, came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and all the others who were with them that told them this news to the apostles. But they, the disciples, did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Okay, so why does Thomas get the bad rap of being the doubter when all the rest of the guys had the exact same question that he did when they first heard about the resurrection, right? They questioned the same way that he did. In fact, both Luke and John tell us that Peter and John ran to the tomb to check it out for themselves, right? They wanted to see in order to believe the same way that Thomas did, right? They all had questions. And I think that's wonderful. They wanted to believe. And so Thomas was not alone in his doubting. He wanted to believe like the rest of his friends did. And seven days later, 
he gets his chance. Let's jump back into our passage here in verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, which is important this time. Though the doors were locked like they were last time, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Now I have to guess that it's probably been a long week at this point for Thomas, right? Uh, In fact, I wonder if he got tired of hearing the rest of the disciples tell him that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, uh, the verb used in the verse earlier indicates that they continually were telling him that Jesus had raised from the dead. So I don't know if at this point he was sick of it or if he was just trying to process what they were saying. Uh, It had to be a time of uncertainty for him. I think wanting to believe like his friends did, but not sure that he was going to get to the point that they were at. And then all of a sudden in the midst of things, without warning, Jesus shows up. And I think it's wonderful because the way that Jesus shows up is the exact same way that he showed up a week earlier. And his greeting to the disciples is exactly the same as it was last time. It's like Jesus is recreating the experience that the other disciples had for Thomas so that he knows that he's risen from the dead. He wants to have the same experience. But this time he speaks directly to Thomas and he invites him to come touch his wounds. Um, And he gets finally the answers he needs uh, to believe. Now, I think Thomas probably was shocked because, as far as we know, Jesus didn't see the disciples between his first appearance and this one. And so, how did Jesus know what it was that Thomas needed in order to believe? And yet, here he is offering him the exact thing that he asked for. Before we get to Thomas's response, um, I do want to talk briefly about Jesus's last words in that, uh, that and what he said. I think the phrase, uh, stop doubting and believe, is nice and short and sweet in English, but that's probably not how the original hearers or readers heard it. Uh, The way that the verb is translated there, it's actually the word become, which we don't even see in the English, uh, makes it sound a little bit more like what Jesus is saying is, stop becoming a person who's doubting and continue becoming a person who believes. So that's a lot messier to say in English, right? Like that's not cute and sweet. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. Um, But I think it captures more of what Jesus was getting at. I think he's inviting Thomas to stop moving in a direction of doubting, but continue to move in a direction of believing. It's an invitation to keep moving towards Jesus. So... uh, Personally, I think that this approach to things makes a lot more sense in light of what we've seen about Thomas, right? Because I think he did want to believe. I think the other disciples wanted to believe too. He just needed a little help. So finally, we get Thomas's response to this whole thing. And his response to Jesus when he finally sees him, uh, we read, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Uh, I think it's interesting that the text never tells us if Thomas touched Jesus or not. Uh, In fact, I tend to think he didn't. Uh, I think that John made a big enough deal about it earlier that if he had touched Jesus, he would have written it down because that would have been a fulfillment of what he said he wanted to do. But he didn't write it down. And I think it's because Thomas didn't need to touch Jesus. He thought he needed to touch Jesus in order to believe. But it turns out just seeing him was enough. That's all it took. 
Uh, one thing I think is really important about uh, Thomas's confession of faith here, uh, it's fascinating. All of the gospel uh, writers include in their, their narrative some, some person making a final statement in their book about uh, the reality of who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to take away our sins. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that role is given to uh, the centurion at the cross who says, uh, surely this man was the son of God, or I believe in Luke, he says, surely this man was innocent. Uh, Those are all statements of him being Messiah. But John reserves this last statement of, of this claim of who Jesus is. He reserves it for Thomas, which I think is wonderful. Because here's this guy that history says was the doubter, and John says, no. No, he's the one who believed. In fact, I think that Thomas's nickname needs to be changed. I think he should be known as Thomas the Believer, not Thomas the Doubter. Because he did, he believed. And as I'll talk about in a minute, his believing in the resurrection changed his life. All right, <clears throat> that's the passage. Uh, I want to, uh, well, not quite. Okay, so uh, Thomas, is, Thomas makes his confession that Jesus is Lord and God. And then Jesus replies to him, and I think this section is really great. Uh, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I love this because Jesus knew that Thomas was not the last person that was going to have a hard time believing, Right? He knew that in generations to come, there would be people who weren't able to see, but were still going to be asked to believe. And they were going to have to trust the testimony of those who did see and did believe, like Thomas did. In fact, John's own audience, John's writing between 40 and 60 years after the resurrection, a good chunk of his own audience would not have seen and had the chance to believe. They're already relying on the testimony of people like Thomas in order to believe. And maybe you're catching this, but I love that God inspired John when he was writing to have us in mind when he wrote this. We didn't get a chance to see like Thomas did and believe. We depend on the testimony of others, and yet we have. And Jesus tells us, even though it might be hard, we are truly blessed when we believe, even though we haven't seen Jesus' actual resurrection. So I love that he was thinking about us when he was writing the scriptures. All right, that's the passage. Um, we're doing okay on time. Uh, I want to talk about a few takeaways that we get out of this interaction with Thomas. Uh, and the first one is, I think, fairly simple, but having questions or doubts about your faith is a really normal part of the faith journey for all of us, I think. Uh, this is true in any area of life. Uh, this is how we grow. I think we often ask questions about things that we thought we knew uh, because we want to learn and grow. It's not that we want to ditch things. We just want to have a better understanding of of what we did. Jesus regularly challenged the beliefs of his disciples. Uh, If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's this phrase that's repeated often where Jesus says, you have heard it said that, and then he lays out a teaching that would have been familiar to them. But then he follows that phrase with, but I tell you, And then he adds something on to the end. He either corrects a view that they had that was a little off, or he adds something to their view that makes it more complete so that their understanding grows. So Jesus was regularly challenging his followers and their thinking, and I think it's okay if at times we're challenged in ours. It's part of the normal growth process. Thomas had questions, and so do we. And what I think is great is that 
Jesus knew exactly what Thomas needed in order to believe, and he knows exactly what each of us need in order to believe as well, and he wants to provide that for us. So, so that's the first one. Uh, working through, I think, questions that we have at times, when we do that, it actually strengthens our faith instead of weakness, it weakens it. I think sometimes people feel like, oh gosh, if I have questions or, or doubts, somehow my faith is weaker, and it's not. It's not, which leads me to my next point. Uh, one, we saw this with Thomas, but if you have questions or doubts, you're not alone. Tons of people have questions or doubts, and it's okay. Thomas did, and it's okay if, if we do as well. Uh, the next thing I want you guys to, to take away is that the idea that faith and doubt or belief and questions can exist at the same time, or maybe um, a different way to say it is that just because we have questions or doubt doesn't mean that we don't believe. Uh, there's a wonderful picture of this in Mark chapter 9. Uh, there's a father who brings his son to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus asks the man what, what happens to be the problem here. And the man says that there's been an evil spirit that's been tormenting his son since he was a child. And desperate to, to see his son healed, uh, the man says to Jesus, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible to the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And in response, Jesus heals the boy. So I hope you caught the father's interesting phrase there, right? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's this wonderful picture of belief and questioning existing at the same time. Because uh, I don't think any of us have it all figured out, right? We're all on a journey. <clears throat> but I think when we do find out something that's true about who Jesus is, uh, and we apply that in our lives, that becomes a building block that other things that are true about who Jesus is can be built on top of. And eventually, our faith grows. <clears throat> And I, I think it's important to note, too, that Jesus healed the man's son, even though his faith wasn't, I don't know how you would describe it, it wasn't complete or it wasn't perfect. There was a mixture of questioning in there. And I, th- I think this is important because often in our Christian life, God's work in our life has very little due to with how much faith we have and has everything to do with who we have faith in. Jesus is worthy of trusting even in those moments when we have questions. He is the reliable piece in the puzzle. All right. So those are some things I think we gather from the the passage. Uh, Let me throw a couple other things at you that I think flow from those, but maybe don't directly come out. Um, One is the idea that faith isn't, I hope you've gathered this as we've been talking, but the first thing is that faith isn't something that you either have or you don't. I think often it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that way. Uh, And sometimes it's, that's the way we talk about it unintentionally. Um, I think the Bible presents faith as something that grows over time. Uh, we tend to think of it as like a light switch. It's either on or off. But I, I think it's probably more like a dimmer switch. Um, and as we learn and grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and we test him and he proves himself to be good and true, then our confidence in him grows. And it's like that dimmer switch slowly starts to turn to the right and the light of our faith gets stronger and stronger. Uh, so, so I think it's a growth process for all of us. Uh, next, I think everybody needs something different to believe. Uh, for Thomas, he, he thought he needed to touch Jesus. Turns out he just needed to see him. Uh, for others, it might just mean 
need to be the reassurances of other folks that they trust that God is real, that Jesus is worth following. Uh, for some people, believing might involve working through some intellectual or philosophical questions. Uh, if I had time to tell a story about a young man this morning, I would, but there's a guy that I spent uh, over two years with on an every other week basis helping him answer and work through some questions that he had. And at the end of the day, he ended up deciding to follow Jesus. Uh, I don't think it takes most people that long, but, but it's possible to grow uh, and have those questions answered. So, uh, again, the, Tom, the story of Thomas should tell us that God knows what it is that we need to believe and that he wants to provide that for us. Uh, next, uh, and this is more of a personal uh, oh, piece for me. Uh, I didn't have a negative experience, but I think the church should be the safest place in the world to work through questions and doubts for people. Um, if it's a normal part of the process, then we should just be able to talk about that with people. Unfortunately, for a lot of folks, that's not always the case. Uh, the church doesn't always do a great job of that. I like to think that New Cove does a pretty good job of welcoming questions and helping people think through things, but I'm sure there are times that maybe we haven't been the best about that. Uh, so part of me feels like I need to apologize on behalf of just like the church as a whole to anyone who's ever been made to feel less than because you have questions about things of the faith and, and growing. Uh, that should not be the way. This should be the most safe place in the world to work through those things. And I know that the staff uh, and the leaders here at NewCov are committed to being that safe place where you can ask those questions and continue to grow and know that you're loved and accepted in the process. So, all right, that's a little soapbox of mine. I will hop off real quick. Um, <clears throat> the last thing I think I want to say this morning is that if you find yourself in a moment or even a season uh, of having questions or doubts, the best thing you can do, and I say this from experience, is to keep moving towards God. Thomas, as we saw from the passage, he stayed connected to his friends who believed because he wanted to keep moving towards God. And that staying connected paid off for him. He eventually got what he needed in order to believe in a way that was meaningful to him. And that, that commitment changed his life. We don't often hear much about Thomas uh, after this episode in the scriptures because we don't hear much more in the scriptures. But church history and tradition tell us that Thomas most likely led the first group of Christians who took the good news of Jesus to the country of India, what we now call India, uh, to that part of the world. In fact, if you talk to most people in the Indian church today, they trace their beginnings back to Thomas. So clearly, uh, he believed enough that he was willing to take the good news of Jesus to parts of the world that he had never been to before. And I think that should be a huge encouragement to us. If God can start the church in another complete different part of the world through someone who at one time had questions or doubts, then surely he can do the same kinds of things in each of us who also at times have questions and doubts. So again, Jesus' words of stop doubting and believe, they're an invitation to us to keep moving towards him because he wants us to grow in our faith and to be confident in who he is so that we can live the life that he calls us to. Uh, I'm going to pray for us here, but real quick, just a reminder, uh, back at 11 o'clock, uh, we're going to reconvene in here to pray. Uh, actually, it's in here. I think earlier, maybe we mentioned it was in the flip side. We're actually going to be in here. Uh, we're going to pray for just the process of uh, the new pastor hire that's going on, and would love for you to have you be a part of that with us. So let me pray for us.
Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm grateful for this account with Thomas um, and what it tells us about uh, not having to have it all figured out yet before we trust in you and believe. Thanks that you love us, even in our mixture at times of belief and questioning. And Father, I pray, uh, if there are folks in the room this morning or people who join us online that have questions that they would like to talk through about who you are and what it means to know and walk with you, uh, Father, we would love to be available to help them do that. Uh, God, I pray that our church would be a safe place to have those conversations. And uh, God, I pray that 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 safety would help us to all move towards you and grow in our relationship with you. God, thanks uh, for being with us and loving us while we're still figuring it out. And thanks that you want to give us the answers that we need to trust you. Thanks for Thomas's example. And it's in his name, it's in Jesus's name, not Thomas's, that we pray. Amen. All right.